Thank you, Claudio, and and thank you for those incredibly kind words. I, I think perhaps you know I, I'm really sort of prepared formal remarks, but I will I will sort of pick up on you know where Claudio began speaking to my experience back 17 years ago. I, I would describe myself somewhat as an accidental entrepreneur. I, I was never uh, uh, front of mind when I was going to medical school here at the University of Toronto. But as you heard, I, I finished my training in infectious diseases and public health, came back to Toronto, and this virus that nobody had ever seen or heard of before showed up in our city, infected a colleague. We had the deaths of other frontline healthcare workers. Many of you will remember that event and how it really paralyzed the city. It was a bit of a microcosm of what we're seeing in the world today with another coronavirus, COVID-19. I, I just want to share a little bit of that story of, you know, picking up on what Claudio had mentioned. There are moments I kind of was surprised when 60 Minutes reached out to talk about and, and do a segment on our story. It was a little puzzling to wonder why an organization like 60 Minutes and CBS would be interested in hearing what we are doing. And so I just want to share a little bit of that story and how we got here and how there were supports in the ecosystem along the way. I, I firmly believe that had those support systems not been there, I don't believe Blue Dot would have been created in the first place. So after the SARS outbreak, I think after a pause, and many of us, myself included, thought, okay, let's not do this again. There's got to be a better way we are dealing with a rapidly changing world. Our world is more interconnected, more interdependent than it's ever been. And we've had the signals Mother Nature has been sending to us over the past 20 years, from SARS to the swine flu outbreak and pandemic in 2009, to MERS, chikungunya, Ebola, Zika, and, and, and now, of course, COVID-19. After 10 years as a, an academic at St. Michael's Hospital and at the University of Toronto and studying emerging diseases and outbreaks and trying to understand if we could better anticipate how they might spread and, and look at other ways to perhaps use novel data streams to detect and respond to uh, outbreaks, there was a, a bit of a feeling that we really need to build a global early warning system for infectious diseases, and one that is able to quickly detect outbreaks, to assess how they will disperse across the globe, to anticipate what kind of disruptive effects they may have, and then to quickly be able to disseminate and spread knowledge faster than the diseases can spread themselves. That was a mammoth undertaking, and just even beginning to think about how we would tackle that particularly sitting in my position as a scientist and an academic, there were signals, I would say, from many of the research funders of my work that there was an appetite and a need to move beyond the discovery in the academic world and the scientific research, that that was very important. But publishing after an outbreak was over and looking backwards was, uh, was a valuable insight, but that we really needed more real-time tools that could generate actionable insights to empower decisions in the middle of a crisis and to be able to get in front of these threats, which we know move incredibly quickly. So the task was diseases spread fast. If we want to be in front of them, we're going to have to move even faster. Now, as I mentioned, I do not have an MBA and I am not a serial entrepreneur and I you know, never imagined 
that I would be creating a company when I was uh, in medical school. But this led to a number of conversations from our tech transfer office at, at St. Michael's Hospital. The first point of contact I had was with the Ontario Centers of Excellence. John McRitchie was there at the time, and Matt Johnson, who I believe is at the Vector Institute now, were two people that I ran into. And the way that they helped me initially was really what I would describe more around mindset. I couldn't quite wrap my head around the idea that maybe I needed to start a company and how would I even begin to do that. I struggled with questions in my mind about, well, if I create a for-profit company, am I somehow compromising purpose or profit and purpose in conflict with one another? Is, are they, is this a zero-sum game or could we actually do good in the world and do well. And in fact, I think what I really came to learn through a lot of their guidance and mentorship in those early days was that in order to do good, you will have to have a business model that is scalable. In order to realize your vision, this is probably not going to happen through academic grants. You're going to need a different vehicle and business could be that vehicle to scale the impact. So, you know, the first part was getting myself mentally in the right mindset. I think the second, candidly, was also the fear of failure. And I'm, I'm sure many entrepreneurs feel this as a, you know, a professor kind of moving up my academic career, wondering what would this look like if there was an epic failure where I, you know, I looked at the statistics and saw, look, many companies try, but they don't succeed and they, they fizzle out you know, what was the culture around me and, and what did that look like? And how would I feel about an epic fail, perhaps in front of all my peers and, and colleagues? You know, I think they helped me get my head wrapped a, a bit around that. And, and you know, I'm just going to draw from uh, Mark Twain's words that 20 years from now, you'll probably regret the things you didn't do more than the things that you did. And so a lot of that kind of guidance and mentorship really helped me take that mental leap of faith towards perhaps creating a company. They then subsequently introduced me over into Mars Innovation. Rafi Hofstein will be familiar to many of you. And, and Rafi really uh, looked at what we were doing, felt that this was uh, a really important innovation to support, provided the seed capital that helped us really get things started. And in the fall of 2013, founded Blue Dot. We are still a pretty small organization, 50 people but I've been very proud to be able to create jobs at the intersection of medicine and health and digital technology and artificial intelligence and data analytics. And, you know, I'll say with humility and pride to, to be able to be playing an important role in the response to this pandemic. We have built a digital early warning system that uses artificial intelligence to scan hundreds of thousands of different sources of information in 65 languages, 24 hours a day, every 15 minutes, looking for news of outbreaks or threats involving over 150 different diseases and syndromes. We built that because we knew from the SARS experience that we may, if we wait for governments to officially report on outbreaks, we may be waiting longer than we would like or need. That system picked up an article in Chinese, translated it to us, and, and presented us the needle in the haystack on the morning of December 31st, which had murmurs and echoes of the SARS outbreak in 2003, got us moving immediately. We built a system that is connected to and talking to the movements of every aircraft around the world, and in fact, over 4 billion 
passengers boarding commercial flights and traveling around the world. That system is fully integrated and, and connected and, and performed an analysis just in a few seconds back on December 31st to highlight the potential path of this outbreak. We actually published this in the scientific literature on January 8th, submitted it to the peer-reviewed uh, scientific literature. And, you know, this is something that um, I'm not saying in hindsight, but, but we're able to pick off 12 of the top cities that were among the very first in the world to have COVID-19 spread to those. So this was another opportunity for us to be anticipating how this disease might spread. And then more recently have been, had the um, privilege of being able to work in a dozen countries, including Canada, including in the state of California, to use data on hundreds of millions of mobile devices, again, anonymously, but analyzing these types of data to uh, guide precision public health responses to flatten the curve and have a, a positive and a material impact on the health and well-being of communities in Canada and around the world. So an incredible privilege. You know, this has led to, you know, briefed the Secretary General of the United Nations yesterday, uh, spoke to Newt Gingrich this morning, the former um, Speaker of the House of Representatives, and at moments have been, you know, hearing about 60 minutes, kind of just wondering why they would want to be profiling and, and talking about a small organization in Toronto. So I think with this, just mindful of time, I just wanted to say that we have been incredibly proud to be able to, we are a very social impact oriented organization, have kind of made the, the leap a bit from, from bedside to bench to boardroom in this process but wouldn't have been able to make that transition without the ecosystem that was here. I think perhaps the biggest area of support was not just the capital, which was obviously important, but the mindset and uh, thinking through what does it mean and how would one actually take that leap of faith, move from the academic world, which I still am active in, but actually launch a company and, and innovate in, in a more um, accelerated fashion and to really scale that innovation to be able to reach lives around the world. So I will pause there and just say I've been very, very grateful for that type of support. I just wanted to have a chance to call out many of the organizations and individuals that helped us along that path get to this uh, place that we are in and find ourselves today. So Claudia, I'll turn it back over to you and, and thank you again for, for having me here today. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, what stands out is the role of the the innovation ecosystem. And Janet mentioned this in her comments that there in recent years has been a focus on scale-ups and, and she used a, a very interesting analogy. I would, you know, in the current environment, I'm inclined to, to think of the analogy of in the middle of an earthquake, if you're trying to sustain a, a massive skyscraper, you don't focus on the top floor, right? The foundation is critical and that's how you stabilize the structure. And, and that's how I would look at the ecosystem. So with that in mind, Janet, Having listened to, to Cameron's remarks, uh, is the ecosystem at risk of some of these interconnected pieces, these critical components collapsing? So I don't think we're at risk. I mean, maybe it's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of an optimist and I will never count out talented, ambitious, hardworking entrepreneurs. So I don't think that we are at risk of it collapsing. That being said, I think that we have an opportunity to double down and to do more. I mean, the, another analogy, the seed analogy, you know, I use this on a, another call I was talking about is, um, I used to be a competitive runner, particularly cross country. And 
as I said, as I said in that other call, I said, you know, if you're in a cross country race and you're competing against somebody and you hit, yeah, you, you hit the hill, the thing you got to do when you hit the hill is you got to turn on the speed and you got to accelerate up the hill and then you got to sprint when you get to the top of the hill and that's how you're going to win the race. And so I would use that analogy. So I guess I more think of it from a positive standpoint rather than, geez, everything's going to crumble if we don't do anything. I prefer more of an approach like, you know what, this is an opportunity. I mean, this situation is showing us more than ever that Canada needs to be strong, very strong in terms of our technology. We are seeing the changes because of the work from home and other changes. The digital transformation of large companies is happening significantly faster than it ever has before. Here's McKinsey reports and other stats that I could quote that you know, validate this. And so as that happens, our tech companies are best positioned. So then the question is, okay, we all knew that tech was going to, you know, was so critical to, to critically important to Canada's future. Now that's even more the case. So now what are we going to do when we hit the hill? Well, we've got to really double down because I think that you're going to see a differentiation in the coming years between those countries that say, Technology companies are more important than ever. We need to invest. We need to double down. We need to support our ecosystem. And those that sort of take their eye off the ball and do not fo focus on their tech ecosystem. And I think that those countries are going to pay the price for a long time.